0: Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisat
1: and with me as always is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And I don't know why Sammy's so sassy this morning. Sammy, you want to talk about that? I'm not sassy
0: at all. I just, I really liked saying your name this, this morning. Ben Hunting. You're always jamming. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, If this is the first time you've heard our podcast, I'm sorry about that really clunky introduction. Uh, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. I work at autoguide.com, and you can find my contact there and uh, on our YouTube page. And you can also see Ben's stuff at autoguide.com, but he has a far wider reach of publications, including uh, Driving.ca, Hagerty, Driving Line, uh, Auto Trader, uh, New York Daily News. Okay, I think I've got enough. Is that enough?
1: It's always enough, Sammy.
0: Okay, if you had those publications on your bingo card, congratulations, you've won already, you don't need to listen to the, to the rest of the podcast. I,
1: unless you want to claim your, your, your prize, which involves a <laughs> skill-testing question that you'll At never the be able to answer.
0: <laughs> At the end of the podcast. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about some rarities in the automotive
1: industry. Body-on-frame SUVs, isn't that cool? It's kind of cool. I, do you think they're rarities, Sammy? I mean, do you yeah. think they're your rarities in the sense that they don't sell a lot of them, or they're rarities in the sense that there aren't many models to buy? I think it's the latter.
0: I think SUVs are still quite popular, um, but many SUVs are going to the um, unibody platform, as, for, as, as opposed to what we have, which is the Ford Expedition and Lincoln Navigator, two very closely related vehicles, which are body-on-frame. They're kind of based on uh, truck platform like real pickup truck platform
1: head to head at last and you know what's interesting though is while these vehicles are body on frame designs they're not direct ports from the pickup trucks like the you would see at general motors for example if you look at like the tahoe the yukon the escalade that trio underneath they have very similar uh, platforms very similar chassis it has the live rear axle out back but ford <laughs> and lincoln did not do that sammy they chose a different path and they chose that different path quite a long time ago isn't that right
0: uh, you're going to have to explain this a little bit more. I didn't realize the history of the Expedition goes back so far. Well, say, uh, uh, when did the Expedition
1: the... come out? 2003, right around there, I think? That might have been the uh, first
0: year? The first generation Expedition,
1: according to my sources at Wikipedia, <laughs> 19, 1997. 1997. Okay, well, uh, I don't know why I picked 2003. Maybe it's just a fun fun year for me. But uh, That was the second
0: generation model.
1: Okay, so they, they, these vehicles, they have an independent rear suspension. And that's something unusual, in, or at least at the time, it was very unusual for the uh, full-size SUV segment, or any SUVs, really, because uh, most of them just relied on the, the straight axle and, and called it a day. And GM is still doing that. And this is not to disparage Shadow Motors, because they do a pretty good job with those vehicles. They're very comfortable, and they drive as well as could be expected for a vehicle of that size. But in the Navigator and the Ford, you're getting something different. What do you think the advantage, sir? I, I know there's plenty of advantages
0: to using independent rear suspension as opposed to the uh, it's a like a live rear axle in a pickup truck. But why would we want that specifically in a in an SUV like this as opposed to the? I mean, do we need that additional um, like benefits of? I mean, these are trucks. These are big SUVs. Do they need to be smooth riding or or sporty driving vehicles? No, they just need to to get down the highway
1: with, with ease, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you have to look at the mission statements of these vehicles. They're not like pickups, because pickups are empty in the back. I mean, what's riding over that live axle is uh, usually air, but sometimes firewood or an ATV or something. It's not a person. Um, if you're a, a primarily a passenger-focused vehicle, you want the additional comfort of a, of a independent rear suspension, and you want to be able to it, it can also reduce noise inside the uh, vehicle itself. Because there's not as much banging and booming, um, you can control axle movements better. Mm-hmm. It's just a, in general, it's also a, you know a more. We say, oh, you don't want it to be a super handler car, corner carving type of vehicle, but at the same time, you've got a lot of weight there, and, right. we, we, and you want to be managed, able to. Right? What's that?
0: It's got to be like properly managed.
1: Yeah, it's it's an easier way to do that. The, the dis, there are disadvantages too. I mean, from a towing perspective, typically you can't tow as much with an independent rear suspension as you could with a stick axle. Uh, The other thing is it takes up a lot of room underneath the vehicle. So this isn't something that's typically a problem on a large vehicle like the Expedition. But on smaller SUVs, you might have a taller load floor in the back because you have to package the independent rear suspension somewhere. And in a car, it's not a big deal because that's the trunk. So you you don't notice it. But if you're in a vehicle that has seats back there, well, all of a sudden, you're cramming seats and cargo space and suspension into the same general area. And that can be a bit of a hassle from a okay, design so, perspective.
0: So I know we're clearly saying that the Expedition is not a truck. But I'm going to be blunt. I used it like a pickup truck. I used it primarily to help a friend um, move. We and, and I found it to be very helpful in that case. But you are right. It did have a higher load floor. Um, than I was expecting. I that, couldn't get a, a a cargo van like a Sprinter or a or a Transit, and the best I could use was this. Navi- uh, sorry, this Expedition, and it was an Expedition Max.
1: Uh, yeah, so that's the extended wheelbase. I also want to point out the reason I said 2003 uh, is because that's the year it actually got an independent rear suspension. The, the The first generation still had the live axle.
0: Oh, okay. I thought I read that it 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 had that suspension as well. No. Okay. Um yeah, you're right. Sorry, in the rear. Okay. Um so let me talk to you about this Expedition Max. It had 121 cubic feet of storage area behind the first row, and we put it to good use. We put a couple of glass tables back there, a fair uh a pair of couches, uh actually a, a futon and a couch. Um and this truck handled it with the ease. It was actually quite comfortable to do that because you know when you're moving with a pickup truck and you've got like couches or glass tables, you've got to secure them. To make sure that they don't slide around they don't um fall off the the out of the bed and you don't have to do that when you've got a truck you can just slide everything back there and there there's um it, it just seems to not slide around it's easier that way well it,
1: it has a roof right it's not it going to fly out the top i mean exactly Unless you're uh, driving the en- the uh, what was it, the Envoy XL or the I can't remember the name of it. Oh yeah, that they made weird that convertible yeah. version of these. So it was so way back when my father has a couple Studebaker Wagonairs and there were these wagons in the '60s that had a sliding steel roof, so you could open them up and use them like a pickup if you wanted to. And yeah. then like 40 years later, <laughs> GM was like, "Hey, that would be a great idea." I believe it was the Envoy, and uh, I can't remember the model name, but they made a version of the Envoy with a sliding sliding steel roof. I think I've seen two in my entire life. Uh, they were extremely rare. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an idea that never really caught on. Uh, the, the, my favorite part of the advertising for the Studebaker one was they had these, you know, it was back in the day when they did those hand-painted um, advertisements where, like, they'd show oh, the I car doing them. what they thought you would do with it. Yeah. And in the for the Wagon Air, they had people standing up in the back of the uh, cargo area with the roof open. They were fishing, like, in a river. <laughs> that's, like, that's a very specific demographic.
0: That is a, Well, yeah, of course. Um, I didn't do any fishing. I did mostly moving and, uh, I went driving around as well, um, around town on the highway and it's a very comfortable vehicle. It's not, um, it wasn't particularly fast. I mean, this is a 5,700 pound vehicle, um, with a 400 horsepower EcoBoost V6. It has 480 pound feet of torque. So you're saying, and, whoa, it's
1: a four, almost 500 pound-feet of torque, and you didn't think it was fast? No, it was so far
0: from fast. Very, and what, what trim very level small. were you driving? Was it like this a
1: luxury is, version, or...?
0: Yeah, the top-of-the-line Platinum model. This is a vehicle that's co- that costs $84,000 in the U.S. Uh, and $90,000 in Canada. Okay. Uh, it was also equipped with the, the heavy-duty uh, trailer tow package. Um, so... In the best case scenario, you'd be able to tow about 9,000 pounds in expedition max, which is slightly less than you would in the regular
1: non-max expedition. And that's because it has uh, the, the gross vehicle weight rating doesn't change, right? But the the vehicle itself is heavier because it's longer and it has more uh, just it just has more mass, so you have to subtract from the tow rating.
0: This um, EcoBoost this Eco, Boost, this eco <laughs> I said eco EcoBoost eco Boost V6 is mated to a 10-speed automatic transmission, similar to what we have seen in. In fact, the powertrain is very similar to what you've seen in the F-150s. By similar, you mean
1: identical, right? Like
0: it's not. I'm not sure the I don't. I'm not sure the um, the 3.5 liter has been bumped up to 400 horsepower yet in the F-150. I think it has more torque though. Hmm. I'm not so I'm not so confident in those numbers, but um. And the transmission was okay. I didn't find too much wrong with that. To me, the interior did not scream $85,000 or $90,000 in, in Canada. Um, it's lacking some really, really fancy uh, appointments. That, that was my biggest disappointment with the, with the vehicle. Well, like what's it missing in your opinion? I don't know, just there was nothing special at that price range that stood out. Nothing screamed like I'm, I'm so expensive. And when you're spending that much money, I'm not. I, I think, in some way or another, you want to be reminded of the. I don't want to call it an investment, but the the purchase you've made um, inside and outside the the vehicle. And I don't think it's. I don't think it's it's really. I it just doesn't. I don't think it has the the
1: statement. Of, what is it? What is the starting price of the Expedition? Yeah, it's much more affordable than that. It's about fifty something. 50 okay, because that's nine. about the same as what you pay for a suburban. And it's 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 just it's interesting. That you say that you know um, you don't think that it's it's worth the extra money. I think that the price that you're talking about is kind of an indication of why we don't really see as many of these vehicles on the road as we used to. Because there's a big misconception that that GM and Ford sell a ton of big sport utility vehicles, and they really don't. Like the numbers are just not there in terms of volume. Well, I mean that makes sense. I mean I think people they're, are they're finding- so expensive.
0: They're expensive, but people are finding much of what is offered in these big SUVs in something that is more affordable, better on gas, and even smaller. Um, you can get three rows of store, of space in in crossovers. You can get much more fuel efficiency in, in some of these crossovers. You, in well. a
1: minivan, you're going to get 40 more cubic feet of cargo space. I mean, you said like 101, and that sounds no, that, impressive. No,
0: in, in, in the... In the normal Expedition, is 104, and the Expedition Max is 121 cargo. 121. And you could yeah. probably get, what, 130,
1: 140 in a minivan? I think so. I mean, those are they, they can they're huge, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, if that's what if that's your number one concern, if space is your number one concern, and you don't want a huge engine using a ton of fuel in a massive vehicle, you mm-hmm. don't have to buy that anymore. And if, if you look, the expedition sales they kind of peaked in uh, 2005 at 114,000, and then three years later they were down to 55,000, and in uh, 2013 um, they sold 38,000 of them. So I mean, you look at today, and they, they kind of stabilized around the 40,000 mark. So, okay. forty thousand fifty thousand examples a year, if you look at the f one fifty, how many of those do they sell? nine hundred thousand <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's interesting because I mean they're essentially the same size, and the the equipment levels are very similar, and extremely yet extremely similar yeah. and yet it's it's just not nearly as popular and it is really important well, I mean, I guess
0: that means it's a very i don't want make i don't want to to marginalize what ford and 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 all the automakers do when they take a pickup truck and 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 make it. Make an SUV out of it, but they're very
1: similar, so it must be a somewhat easy decision for them to offer this vehicle. I think it's I think it's definitely a legacy type vehicle. I think it's the kind of vehicle that they sell to repeat customers who are just they need or, or fleets, you know, that that need this type of capability or think they need the the, the four wheel drive and the the tow capability because you're not going to find I mean a minivan doesn't tow uh, mm-hmm. more than 3,500 pounds really. <laughs> this- and this does more more than double that. Yeah, well most people never tow more than the average trailer weight in the United States is like 3000 pounds. That's okay. so it's not really a big deal, but if you do need to tow more, you're not going to do it in anything other than a a body-on-frame full-size SUV or a pickup. I mean, there are some unibody SUVs like the Durango and the Grand Cherokee that tow around 7000, I think, 7000-8000 pounds mm-hmm. in that neighborhood. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. Uh but it's you know, you're not going to get in a Highlander and tow you know, eight thousand pounds—it's just not going to happen. So there's, there is a, there's a niche. And there I think you go,
0: there you go, listeners. That's your challenge for this week. No, we, a- <laughs> we are definitely not challenging
1: you to go past the safe towing rate of whatever vehicle you might own, Sammy. We have. <laughs> A lawyer on the phone right now. My phones are lighting up, and uh, we're going to have to end this podcast immediately. I'm no, sorry, no, no. Hold everybody. on. Hold on. We
0: still have some time to talk about these things. I was going to go on a long rant about the uh, technology features in the Expedition. Do it. Why not? Expedition Mac. What's holding you back? The, what's holding me back is that you have a Lincoln Navigator, and you should have more features and equipment than I
1: do. Well, I want to want... hear your rant first. No, no. Then no, we'll, I then we'll your... find out. I want to hear what you have. Oh, so a, you just want rant. to interrupt my rant with your own rant later on? I see how it works. That's, That's right. It's totally not cool. I'm um, hearing from the listeners they haven't heard enough Sammy rants.
0: They hear a <laughs> lot of Ben hunting, a, uh, alignment rants, entire rants and tire rants. That's because you trigger
1: rants. me. <laughs> um yeah, so I had a Navigator, and for those of you who are maybe not familiar, the Navigator is essentially the Expedition underneath. But what Lincoln's done exceptionally well is when you open the door to the vehicle, there's almost no comparison. They've really, really amped up the luxury inside the Navigator, especially on the higher-end models. You can spend a hundred thousand dollars on a Navigator now if you wanted to. Uh, that's a new—I I believe that's the first $100,000 vehicle from Lincoln, or at least the first vehicle with a $100,000 MSRP. Uh, I know you could probably option past navigators up to that level, mm-hmm. but uh, the vehicle itself starts at around seventy-four thousand. So the cheapest navigator is just a bit cheaper than the loaded expedition. Sam, we was driving, right? And um, most of the features that you add on are, are it's it's tech stuff like adaptive cruise control and safety features. And you know my the vehicle I was driving also came with um, a DVD player in the rear seats. Uh, the the center console in the back it has a It has captain's chairs in the second row and in between there's a full control for the infotainment system with like a touch screen and dials and whatnot so if you're in the second row you can control the radio and everything it's really well laid out it's gorgeous it's an enormous center console in the front Mm -hmm. it's inlaid with wood uh the materials feel top notch i had these kind of tan orange seats uh, beautiful leather soft soft headrests i think i have 30 ways of adjustment for the seats everything looks good it it honestly feels like i don't say this very often there's there's very few vehicles to me that feel like they're worth quote-unquote their msrp Mm -hmm. Uh, one of those a standard for me has always been the range rover Uh, i've always felt like the range rover around 100 grand makes a ton of sense because you can do anything you want with it you can go off road you can drive it's as comfortable as a sedan it's very fast it looks gorgeous and you can haul like five six people in it no problem uh so it's a do everything vehicle with a high price tag the navigator is not at the range rover's level but it's it's close in terms of utility it is exceptionally comfortable to drive it has a 450 horsepower version of the engine that sammy had in his vehicle okay and i think it's 510 pound feet of torque something around there uh, it, it it has the same 10-speed transmission. I, like I said, um, mechanically, they're very similar. I believe my vehicle's on an air ride suspension. I'm not 100% sure about that. Mm-hmm. But it's got all these funky driving modes. Uh, it has excite and conserve and balanced, um, which are, <laughs> I mean, you can figure out what those mean <laughs> if yeah. you really want to. But it feels it feels like a luxury vehicle. It, it, the, the previous generation Navigator was not great. I did not enjoy driving it, and mm-hmm. it was a big mistake Um, from Lincoln, I think, to have that vehicle priced where it was. It just wasn't competitive, and it really felt like a a gussied-up Expedition. The new Navigator does not feel like a gussied-up Expedition, Sammy.
0: I really love that we actually had the chance to drive drive these two cars um, opposite each other. Um, It's very important to, to point out that this Navigator, actually the past Navigator, is commonly uh, lined up with the Escalade. People usually like to compare the, ca- the Cadillac and Lincoln offerings, and the old Escalade was fantastic. I mean, the, the Escalade was com- fantastic against the outgoing um, Navigator. Yeah, there was
1: no competition. Navigator was a, a distant third behind the QX80 and the Escalade, no question. I would even put the Navigator behind the Yukon Denali. And now this brand-new Navigator is... Is amazing. It it's really exceptional. is. It does
0: seem, and I think comparing it to a Range Rover, even um, even like ten, like on a on a very mild tangent, it is. That is a great comparison. That is that's amazing. That's a great thing to be compared. It's like being compared to an S class.
1: Yeah, it's it, and and it's it's you know I didn't say anything about the exterior styling. We were talking before the podcast. There's from from some angles the Navigator looks very much like an Expedition, particularly I mean, I, in, in every... silhouette or or from the rear three quarter. But up front. It has this great big enormous glowing Lincoln logo, <laughs> and really cool headlights, and they've done a they've done a good job. I mean, it, it, it's a slab of of metal, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a big truck. There's only so much you can do, and exactly. from the front, they've done a good job of of differentiating it from other angles, not so much. But it, uh, for me, it's the interior. You're driving the interior. Yeah.
0: I I really love the way you describe this interior. I've seen photos of this uh, of these like orange trimmed seats. They're so they are so cool. Yeah. I'm so in love with what they were able to achieve with the interior of this of this car. Where you're gonna find I think the most difference. Um, are on some very weird
1: parts of these cars. You mentioned the drive modes. You have three drive modes. I have more than three. Those are the ones I can remember because there's there's uh those are all like you know it basically boils down to sport and normal and eco, right? Right. And then there's there's like an off road mode, sort of. I think it's called deep conditions. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, my nominee my for drive mode of the year, right there. <laughs> Deep conditions. Deep conditions. Yeah, that's your life story. It is. Um, and there's also a four by four auto or a four by four lock, something like that. Okay. There's, there's there's various off road style ones. Uh, it's it's not super clear, but it's not difficult to figure. I just haven't played with it a lot because I've been keeping it mostly in auto. We've had kind of a rainy, cold week, mm-hmm. and uh, I've used the the sport version or as they call it, excite quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to be using the conserved version today because I have a, a long road trip. I, I, I blew up the transmission on my dad's in a couple of weeks ago, as we were talking about, and I bought a new one about two hours out, outside of town, so I got to go pick it up. Another great thing you can do with the Navigator is just load a transmission in the back, like it ain't no thing, because it ain't no thing. It, it's got the same cargo space pretty much as Sammy's Expedition. Uh,
0: so you, you did have the, the long wheelbase one, the, I think, Navigator L?
1: I don't remember. No, I don't think so. I have the regular wheelbase. Okay. So I'm missing well, like ten cubic feet, I think, twenty yeah. cubic feet.
0: Yeah, and like ten inches of overall length. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I think that I think it looks way better in the short wheelbase. I agree version.
0: with you. I definitely agree with you.
1: Um, the expedition I had had, um, what what is it called? It's called
0: terrain management. It's okay. The same fee- The same system, or at least adapted from the Ford Raptor, and it has um, a dial. That allows you to check to, to select your drive mode. It also has four different um, um, all-wheel drive settings. So you have two-wheel uh, drive, you have four high, you have four sorry, you have four automatic and four low, and a locking um, and a locker. Um, and you've got all of these drive modes. You've got let me try to remember them all here. Seven drive modes. It has normal, eco, sport. It has tow haul, gravel slash snow, mud ruts, and sand. Mud ruts. Mud flash
1: ruts. Mud ruts deep conditions.
0: Um and that's a lot of that's a lot of um it's a lot to choose from. Remember when we were complaining about how many drive modes a, a BMW M5 has? I think Lincoln was, I mean, Ford was like, oh, yeah, we can do that.
1: Well, no one takes these vehicles off-road. I mean, very yeah. few people. They're, they're so unwieldy on a trail. We've talked about this in the past, but everyone imagines that to, to go off-road, you need to have, like, a big vehicle that just oh bludgeons. God, it just don't. bludgeons the terrain into submission. The reality is trails are usually pretty tight. and yes, the shorter, you shorter. so claustrophobic. <laughs> Yeah, the shorter the wheelbase, the easier time you're going to have getting around obstacles or tight corners. I mean, it, it, there is, it, it, big trucks often just have to back up. Because they can't get around, there's a rocky outcropping or something, and you're just the wheelbase is too long. You're mm. gonna pin that truck right, right up against it and not be able to get around. That's why Jeeps and first generation Broncos are so popular. Because they've got
0: that short little wheelbase.
1: Yeah, they can pretty much go anywhere. Suzuki Samurai, same kind of deal. I mean, it, it boils down to you know like what kind of off-roading you want to do. If you want to drive around on dunes and stuff, and there's no obstacles, then yeah, I mean it's fine. Or a beach or something, you'll you'll have a good time. But uh, if you're into trail trail driving, it can be a different story.
0: I I, tr- I truly believe that the expedition is a is an is supposed to be a tr- a towing sort of vehicle a tow haul sort of vehicle. But as you mentioned, other the the average towing weight is like three three thousand pounds, and there are some crossovers that can manage that uh, double that as well. So I'm trying to figure out where the expedition really holds its value. All well, of that's those like features- what we said. I mean, I don't think
1: value is. I don't think it's really a value proposition. I think it's a niche proposition for people who uh they need to they feel like they need that kind of cargo space that's covered Mm -hmm. they don't want to have a pickup truck but they need to tow a lot and i think that's like a a, an intersection of of customers that's very rare and i also think fleets buy a lot of these because you can uh in a two-wheel drive version i mean it's a great airport shuttle
0: yeah uh, and I guess if you're saying that these are for people who wanted to use it as a as a cargo vehicle, a storage, a store a covered storage vehicle, um, hey man, I use it just like that. But many of the features that you mentioned were in your um, navigator: the adaptive cruise control with stop and go, the blind spot um, monitoring information, um, dual um, screens in the in the second row for, the, you, for yeah. entertainment system i had that did you have uh, the controller in the center console as well i don't i don't think i did i, do, I believe i didn't have um a controller i had a remote
1: a remote's like a, kind of like a controller i guess it was not whatever fancy remote thing, like, controller <laughs> <laughs> i
0: it was not a touchscreen item that you had i i had this like park assist feature that always wanted me to uh wanted to Parallel and perpendicular. Park the car for me. Yeah, I don't. I don't use park <laughs> assist. I was
1: like please stop. <laughs> I find it doesn't work very well at identifying available parking spaces. That's my mm-hmm. biggest issue with it. You could be beside a huge gap and you turn it on, and and you're supposed to. So you push the button. If anyone's never used these systems, there's like a button on the console or the or the dash. You turn it on, and then you use the turn signal to tell it which side you want the radar to look for a gap in in traffic, and, or not traffic, but parked cars. It'll find the gap, and then it'll it'll instruct you as to put it in reverse, put it in drive, put it in reverse, and it handles the steering. Uh, you have to keep your foot on the brake because it doesn't – I mean, it'll apply the throttle, but you need to, to slow it down. Usually, some of them will auto-stop as well. But it, it just can't find a gap. Like, that's the biggest issue for me, and I can find the gap. My favorite one was a couple of years ago when the XC90 came out. Uh, I was parking in front of my house, and I, I wanted to try the system for the first time and it was the parallel parking system and right. there was a huge gap like it wasn't it wasn't difficult so it's it's parking 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 and then it goes up on the sidewalk <laughs> with the rear wheel the right rear wheel and it spins the the front wheels around locks them straight and then on the screen it goes parking accomplished <laughs> <laughs> and we were like half on the road half off and it was just hilarious like, it was so confident i guess is what what, what struck me about it um it's really interesting
0: those features. Uh, I mean, some like I'm trying to figure out how how what the success rate is on them because yes, I've used a couple when they were not right. Um and I think the bigger the vehicle, like if it's a three-row vehicle, I think the 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 less likely it is to get it right every single time. But I've seen it with like a Ford Edge, which is a smaller crossover and it's been much more successful for me in that. Um there were there was one weird issue that occurred with the Expedition. Uh it has power running boards, power how do you how do you describe them these running yeah, exactly
1: boards. what you just said power running boards. <laughs> what word are you searching for <laughs> well they, they
0: deploy from the from from the vehicle so that you can step into the car and yes. um i had gotten into the car and my other half was waiting on the passenger side and she had opened the door and she's like i can't get in and i'm like what do you mean you can't get in she's like the, sta- the side step the sidestep didn't come out and i'm like what
1: And so she's just
0: standing – and this is a huge vehicle. This is a giant – you can't just, like, jump in. You cannot – unless you're – yeah, I don't know what kind of body, like – shape you would have to be to just like you know what body
1: shape i have sammy don't (laughs) pretend
0: one foot up in into the car and just haul yourself in so so we had to close we had to close the door and open it again like twice for the the power running board to go down again
1: that's that's a very one percent problem yeah um i I, on the lincoln the power the running boards actually deploy before you get to the vehicle so it detects the key as you walk towards the vehicle it projects the lincoln logo it turns the lights on and it puts the running boards down nice the little
0: bat signal on the floor this is your lincoln welcome
1: and uh i typically don't like running boards that deploy like that because they hit me in the leg or they're not at the right height but the lincoln ones springing up on the car don't judge me man and the the the, yeah these ones were actually at a good height and it was totally comfortable and i had no issues. so i was a little surprised by that um but i I can tell you a funny story about power running boards if you have the time sammy do you have the time
0: i let me check my schedule uh just this one thing that i'm doing right now called uh, podcast but i think we can we can squeeze in your story.
1: So I can't remember if we mentioned this when I was talking about driving the Silverado up north, but uh, at the end of the day, so I was driving, uh, I think it was the High Country model and it had the retractable running boards. Mm-hmm. And... um I had one of the doors was sort of open in the pickup truck. I was driving it through a parking lot and every time you would stop or slow down, the boards would like shoot out and then they, you'd accelerate it. I was looking for parking. They would, they would <laughs> suck back in as soon as I hit the gas and then shoot out again and then suck back in. Cause like it's just, it just relies on the door switch. Right. Right. And the door wasn't completely closed. So that, that was kind of funny. That,
0: but that is, uh, that's, that's really interesting. I wanted to talk to you about this
1: transmission. Did you, were you confident with this transmission? Did you like the way this thing changed gears every time? So when you're driving, I had no problems, mm-hmm. but I did have an issue when I was moving from reverse to drive. It does not happen instantaneously. So the, the I don't know if it's like this in the Expedition, Sammy, okay. but on the Navigator, it has buttons like little piano keys right. on, underneath the dashboard at park, reverse, neutral, drive. So when I was backing out of a parking spot, I would be in reverse then i would hit drive and there was a second and a half to 2 seconds where nothing would happen and it would feel like the drivetrain was fluttering and that was a little frustrating because sometimes i would be backing out into traffic and i needed to get out of there <laughs> and there was vehicles that were coming towards me and i could not move as fast as i wanted to it, it never felt dangerous but i could never predict when it was going to do its little shuffle shift thing and when it was going to actually be able to get me in gear did that ever happen to you in the expedition no but i think your push button
0: Uh, gear selector has something to do with it. And I've noticed this with past um, Lincolns in particular, I think when you go from D to R, it like goes through each gear in between. I think that's like, there's like probably neutral there. Right. And it seems like it's doing it very cautiously and carefully and selectively while the expedition I had, had that rotary uh, gear selector, kind of like um, an FCA product. And I would just go from uh, D and just turn it all the way to R and then it reacted so it's I don't so think- weird
1: because it's the same transmission so why is it different you know like maybe maybe it's just a calibration thing on the vehicle i was driving who knows it wasn't a huge deal but it was something that happened often enough for me to notice okay so your vehicle probably had paddle shifters right
0: uh i don't think so no okay so my car did not have um paddle shifters instead two ginormous buttons beneath the uh gear selector this rotary knob that said plus and minus and that's how you would change change gears if you wanted to i found that to be really weird i mean it's something i haven't really seen it it was very truck-like but yeah
1: well it's just for towing right it's not i mean you wouldn't use it for anything else
0: that's right and i found that to be very like uh i i I would call it cumbersome it seems out of the way but then again the same in the same token it's probably for very limited use case
1: scenarios I'm looking at pictures right now of this steering wheel and dashboard area because I can't recall having seen any, either of those. But Oh, I think I might see them. Because I, I didn't recall seeing those buttons, and I didn't recall having paddle shifters. And I, I can't I, – no, I don't see them. So I, I guess maybe the Lincoln just doesn't have that. There's no tow haul mode for the transmission either that I'm aware of. Oh. Uh, so it – I don't know if Lincoln realize, or maybe they think that their owners don't tow as often, so it's not a big deal. But that's really a shame. I think that would be a perfect uh, a perfect vehicle for people. It's possible that there is one that you have to access via a menu system, right? Uh, so that that that's always out there.
0: And how do you feel about the new infotainment system? This is um Sync Three, and it's available on. It's very similar in both cars, right?
1: It's fine. It's mm-hmm. not the best looking, but it's functional. I only had a couple issues where it wouldn't. Um, link to my phone and I had to reboot the car so okay. to speak by turning it on and off but other than that uh, no real issues with it
0: I kind of um, I hate saying this because I think it's a it's a very controversial opinion I like the old my Ford touch layout of the four corners that are always yeah. always present and really that was um, that was cool. out of the way they this one it has a lower bar that's very similar to like a connect a navigation bar on the lower screen that will hide when you're in the navigation um, screen or the map screen. And you would have to press this like control button and bring them back up again. I didn't like that two button or that two button press just to change.
1: Well, if you're uh, in the navigate. navigation – If you're in the navigation screen, I noticed what you're saying, too. And I was like, where did the bar go? If the top left has a home icon Mm -hmm. and you can if you push that, it'll put you back on the home page, which still shows you navigation, but in a smaller window. And then you get the bar back. Right. But it's not it's not obvious. So it's it's that's maybe the only clunky part of the system. I I found it to be fairly good at uh, everything I needed it to do. Oh, but you're reminding me of something else about the infotainment. I did not like the stereo system and still do not like the stereo system in the Navigator at all. It, it's very average. Uh, I don't use the surround sound features and all of that junk because I'm going to be honest with you. None of the music you listen to in your car was mixed to be listened to in surround sound. Right. It was mixed on a two channel stereo system. And any do you of the think surround that's
0: still? Present? Do you think that's still um, the way it's done today?
1: 100,000% like is okay. the way it's done today uh, because human beings have two ears and you you're not sitting in the middle of whatever fake band you're listening to you know it's not That's not how mixdowns work. But in any case, when you use the EQ system uh, to make it sound like a surround sound, that's all it is. It's an EQ that's messing around with the frequencies to to give you the illusion of that. So once you turn that off and you're just listening to it straight, the the link is not that impressive. I want to listen to how the band wanted me to hear it and how the, the mixing engineer wanted me to hear it, not how someone who created a car stereo algorithm wants me to hear it. Right.
0: Um, I didn't have any issues with my sound system. I don't think I had the upgrade. I don't think it has an upgraded audio system, or at least to the same level as um, the the Navigator had.
1: Well, I would I would be shocked <coughs> if the one I had was considered an upgraded system. I mean, it was just not impressive. It was completely fine, and it never really – even turning it up, it didn't really give me any punch. It was just – you know, a hundred thousand dollars. I am expecting more, I guess, and you can get more from from competitors. Uh, so if, they, if there's one weakness to the feature set of the Navigator, that would be it, I think.
0: I think you're you're definitely right. I mean, the Range Rover that you mentioned earlier had this like really intense um, sound system. I think it's called the Meridian sound system or something like that. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, and it has like 30 speakers. It's like it's got it's got noise coming at you from all directions and or noise all, all. just noise Jazz. just screams of the damned <clears throat> but let's talk about noise did did you notice any wind noise or tire noise um in your in your vehicle or squeak not or wind. like rattles and and squeaks
1: so no wind noise and no tire noise that i noticed but what i did notice was a clunking at the rear occasionally when i would accelerate i mm-hmm. think it's because i had the third row folded flat yep. and i think it's moving around and that's not unique to the navigator that's something you'll find in a number of SUVs with the second row folded. It's annoying. I wish someone would come up with a way to lock things down back there so that I would not have to deal with the clunk because it makes me think that some like I, my groceries have come on out of their bags or yeah, something's got like fallen a under. Apple, like, yeah, a rogue apple. Like, yeah, rogue apple. I mean, and there's nothing worse than a rogue apple sliding around and <laughs> making but,
0: clunking noises in the car. <laughs> the wrong fruit
1: distracting me from the task at hand, which is not fruit at the time. Um, so. Sorry, you
0: say you, you drove mostly with the second row or third row folded? Third row folded okay. down. I also drove with the, with the third row folded down for the majority of my, my time in the vehicle. I didn't notice any clunking, but I definitely noticed wind noise and some, some squeaking or vibration from the front A-pillars. Um, and I was really unhappy with, with that element. It was constant almost and, uh, and really hard to ignore. And sem- several passengers actually noticed it as well saying there's quite a lot of noise happening over here are you like comfortable with it like what's going on um, i think
1: it's you know the lincoln most likely has better sound editing i right? think you're right
0: 100 like 100 percent right there's no we're not going to argue over this
1: i didn't think we would but oh, okay thank good. you for clarifying i'm I was
0: worried that you thought we you really you really nipped
1: that in the bud <laughs>
0: um okay so what i would say is um i wouldn't wholly recommend the expedition max unless you're in that that right um demographic for it instead i would probably recommend somebody take a look at the even the base navigator um and, and consider that which will make them feel like they've they've spent the money in the right place uh, and are are picking up something that is special and um and comfortable to drive
1: well here here's a here's kind of a curveball for you that's Uh-oh. not really a curveball what about the Suburban or the Nissan Pathfinder or sorry the Armada? I'm sorry. Okay, I think Did I just say I'm sorry like three times in two seconds. Yeah, that this was is the most Canadian. Canadian podcast.
0: I'm sorry you had to you have to apologize for that. Um... The uh, Yukon XL and uh, Pathfinder Armada, I feel, are not up to. They don't feel very modern in the way that the Navigator and even this Expedition. I will. I don't want to. I don't want to discredit this new Expedition. The Expedition is quite good. It was very modern feeling in many ways. It had all the technology and features you expect in a car in as a twenty nineteen model year. But I feel like the Expedi- The sorry, the Armada and um, Yukon XL. Are are missing some of those features and uh, and will feel left out in comparison.
1: Okay, well that's 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 interesting. Uh, What do you think? I like the Yukon XL a lot. Wow. um, But I agree. I agree with you. Right. Yeah, I agree with you about the Armada though.
0: And I will admit the the if we're going to talk about the QX80. And well, Navigator. that's that's not
1: expedition territory, I don't think. No. I think that I don't think that's fair. I don't know. I don't know why I'm I'm cool with like uh, Yukon Denali is even kind of outside expedition territory. Right. I wanted to to talk about the QX80 and the Navigator. The QX80
0: has one very strong um, advantage. It's extremely affordable for the car that it is. It is a little bit cheaper than a Navigator. I think it actually starts somewhere in the sixties, um, and that's that's a pretty big deal. I think.
1: Yeah, and it's a, a great vehicle. I, I think some people get hung up on the styling, mm-hmm. but uh, if you can get past that, then there's a lot to enjoy. I, I, I don't have a problem with the styling, but uh, there's a lot to enjoy, and it has a gorgeous interior. But the Navigator interior is also very good. So, I mean, it's it, we're getting to the point where suddenly it's a very competitive segment, whereas in the past, maybe it was just kind of the Escalade segment to lose. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I feel like they they had maybe they had pushed the the brand the 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 segment so far that now they couldn't keep up they can't keep up as everyone else just leapfrogged them.
1: Does that make sense? I don't th- I don't think anyone's leapfrogged the Escalade. I think it's still very good. Uh I just think that now you have choices whereas before you had the Escalade was so clearly at the top and then you had if you couldn't afford the Escalade, here's what else you could buy but now it's kind of a question of personal taste like do you want that 6.2 V8 in the Escalade mm-hmm. do you want the Mag Ride or do you want the Navigator's really nice interior or the QX80's really nice interior with a V8 it's 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 kind of it's nice to have those kinds of options i don't want like three clone vehicles that are all great <laughs> right i want th- i want three legitimate choices and i think that that's what you have now well, that's really important. that's actually really a worthwhile um talking point because
0: these vehicles, like we said, they're they're rarities. they're they're hard to find, but each one does seem very distinct. you're right. That's a great way to put it. Um, and it would be great to see all segments being like that um, in many ways. I find that that's not that's not the case across the board, right?
1: Definitely not. Sammy, uh, what what are we going to be talking about next week on on the show? I think think we're going to take a little bit of a break from SUVs. Is that possible? Is that even possible on today's market? (laughs) Uh, Definitely possible. I've got um, a really fun um, car test to talk to you about.
0: I went all the way to Bahrain to test drive the brand new 2019 Porsche Panamera GTS. This is a vehicle that bridges the gap between the Panamera 4S and the Turbo. And um, I also got to drive it on on an F1 circuit, which is pretty... That's a thats a bucket list item for me. I've done that. Um, what well, about that, you? What that, are you driving?
1: Well, I, I teased it last week where I said that this week we'd be talking about the 2019 Miata. Oh, right. And, and uh, we're actually going to... We're going to talk about it next week because we were so excited to do the Navigator Expedition Comparison episode. So uh, 2019 Miata, it's going to be exciting. I'm also going to Mexico to uh, attend the Day of the Dead Driving a dead car, the 2019 Volkswagen Beetle. It is the last year for the Beetle. They're making a final edition, and it's going to be a dead car on Day of the Dead, and that's going to be fun.
0: Uh, I'm also doing uh, a little bit of a fun event. I'll be attending SEMA for the first time in my career, and uh, we'll also take a couple of Jeeps and Rams out into the desert, a place called the Valley of Fire. Which yeah, I've actually been dangerous.
1: I've been to the Valley of Fire. I uh, I guess it was 2 or 3 years ago I drove the Power Wagon there. Wicked. And it's fun. There's a lot of cool trails out there, a lot of sand. Um you're gonna get a sunburn and <laughs> you're gonna have a good time, I think. Oh, but that's a we got a next. The next couple of weeks are gonna be great. We got a lot of a lot of cool cars that we're driving, and we hope that you'll come back and join us. If you wanna hear past adventures, you can do that too. You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and everything. Every episode, I think we're up to close to 100 episodes now. That milestone oh, oh, is approaching, and you can listen to them all there, or you can just go to iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, Shoutcast. All sorts of uh, podcast clients have us listed. If you do listen to us there, give us a rating, leave some comments. It helps a lot. It raises our profile and increases our audience. And, uh, Sammy, if people wanted to um, get a hold of us and uh, talk to us about, you know, maybe they have questions, maybe they have comments about what we're talking about, uh, how would they do that? Well, first of all, we do have
0: a contact form on our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. Just look for Unnamed Automotive Podcast there, and you can send us a message or leave us a post. You can see photos of... Uh, Uh, the vehicles we've tested recently um if you want to get a little bit more personal you can reach out to me or ben on social media i'm um pretty available on twitter you can find me at sammy underscore ha um like you're laughing and you can find ben on instagram he's at hunting benjamin
1: And uh, I just want to shout out to JJ for getting in touch with us last week and uh, telling us how much they enjoyed the episode we did about the BRZTS. He's a BRZTS owner, Mm -hmm. and he was very happy to hear the love that we had for that car. So thanks, JJ, for getting in touch with us. We appreciate you listening.
0: And we always love hearing from our listeners, especially as I bumble my way through another truck-themed version of the podcast. I will... I'm going to be honest... Sammy, you must... must, Your confidence about trucks, it just must be skyrocketing (laughs) now because... (laughs) I want to tell you the truth. Whenever we do these podcasts or any stories on trucks, I really get, um, uh, I want to say flustered. I get a little overwhelmed because there are so many different um, important categories to hit or things to talk about when it comes to trucks, be it tow ratings or or gross vehicle weight ratings or axle ratios, which we didn't even talk about in this podcast.
1: Um and, and yet, and yet, somehow the earth kept turning.
0: And I always get—I I, want to make sure I hit the right things, and I feel always overwhelmed when it comes to these things. But then again, these are these are uh, SUVs more than than pickup trucks, and maybe that helps um, smooth things over for me. So, uh,
1: so send send your words of confidence to Sammy. <laughs> Tell him he's doing a good job with trucks, and he doesn't have to worry and he needs to get out of his own head a little bit and just enjoy just enjoy the truck lifestyle. I fully embraced that.
0: him. I'd appreciate that. And you know so, what you could
1: probably do that for Ben too. <laughs> no, I, i'm I'm on cruise control. Don't worry about it. Oh. Um, so thank you for everyone for listening, and we will talk to you next week.
0: Sounds good. Bye.